Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Yeah, I'm, as Molly said, I'm Connor. I'm one of the leaders uh, here at Fallowfield. Help me the evening service with my wife, Rosie. And tonight we continue our series called The Path of Discipleship, which is looking at practices that we can put in place in our lives to live more like Jesus. And tonight we're looking at self-denial or the idea of denying ourselves. Um, so I want to start with this. Is there anything more uncomfortable than going around a circle with a room of strangers and having to introduce yourself? Imagine if I made you all do it now. I had to do this for training, for work recently, um, and I had to do exactly that. And the worst part was they wanted to know why we were all there. And it was mental health first aid. So I just was like, oh, my name's Connor. I want to be trained in mental health first aid. But what I really wanted to say was, my name's Connor, and work has paid for me to be here. So I guess I also want to be trained in mental health first aid. <laughs> but then you've always got the goody two-shoes in the room. My name's so-and-so, and I just want to save the world because of the training I've got today. Um, for this idea, if we all love to present a certain identity of ourselves, it can be so controlled, a bit like a PR stunt. Everyone's Instagram, TikTok, or ironically, Be Real, they can become our own PR stunts. It never really gives an honest or a total idea of whatever that experience actually was. We all individually now have an audience that we were never really designed to have. You can say whatever you want and guarantee over 50, 100, 500 people will see it. It doesn't seem like a lot if you've got maybe 500 or or 900 followers, but think about it. Every time you said something or took a photo, you had to share it with everyone in this room. Everyone. Take an actual look around this time. You become acutely aware of your identity, wouldn't you? You post the wrong photo, you use the wrong wording, And then it becomes a nightmare. Oh, what do they think of me? I hope they don't realize I'm not like the person in those photos or posts. Who here has ever become so overwhelmed thinking about what would he caption to put? One that's funny, but also natural enough that it shows I'm funny, but I also don't care. But you also know that I don't care, and therefore I'm also still funny. (laughs) How we want to be perceived and who we are don't always line up. And thank goodness, because if we were all naturally funny and cool and didn't really care, it'd be very boring, be a bit of a nightmare, really. And just prior to today's passage, at the beginning of Luke 9, the topic of Jesus' identity and perception of the crowds who are coming to listen to him speak is brought up by Jesus himself. But it's the disciples' perspective that's challenged. The disciples have seen and heard from Jesus, and they've also heard what's been said amongst the crowds of people who have come to hear Jesus speak. And I bet they'll have had moments where they're completely sold on everything Jesus is saying, and moments where they had doubts, moments where they're probably a bit confused or concerned. Kind of like a film or a band that you love, but as soon as someone criticizes them, you begin to second guess that love you had. Think about rushes through your head in those moments. Again, it's, well, if I like this and they don't, what does that say about me as opposed to them? Maybe it's actually cooler to dislike it. That can be slightly, slightly stressful. When it comes to opinions on films, my mum and dad love to say that I'm pretentious. If I don't like it and they do, or I love it and they don't, 
well, that must be because I'm pretentious. But to be honest, they can call me whatever they want because I'm right and they're wrong. Um, <laughs> the disciples have heard and seen enough that when Jesus asks them to their faith, who do you say I am? They can respond, God's Messiah. What a moment for the disciples. The realization settles in that this isn't just a wild ride for laughs. They've been hearing the concerns and critiques among the crowds. They'll have had their own doubts. Jesus is aware of it all and allows them to decide for themselves. So if you want to turn with me, let's have a read of Luke 9, 22 to 25. So verses, verse 22, and Jesus said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Jesus is saying to the disciples, I'm right. And you're right. I am who you think I am. But if you want to be my disciple, if you believe who I am, then to gain the fullness of that, you're going to have to give everything up. If you want to save yourself, you have to lose yourself first. Jesus is saying, if we want it all, if we know who he is and can't deny that, then we have to pick up our cross and follow him, denying our worldly selves. Because what use is gaining the whole world, yet forfeiting your very self? That identity in life we meticulously want to design and cling to is fickle. It means nothing, which for me is helpfully black and white. If you want to chase that lifestyle, that identity, or whatever, you you can go, go for it. It's yours to chase. But if you want to follow Jesus, then you know what's on offer. What to you is more important. Jesus presents a faith that is obedient and active. He lets them know immediately what it means, truly means, to be obedient. It means deny yourself. But thankfully, Jesus doesn't say, here's the prize, go figure it out. Go figure out how to find it, how to get it. He actually says, watch me, follow me, listen to me, and you can live in glory. Jesus gives us the blueprint. So in verse 22, again, the Son of Man must suffer many many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus lays out what he's going to do. Jesus is the self-denying saviour. And Jesus explains what his mission as Messiah is going to be. The Jewish people believed their Messiah would come in glory and victory, like a King David-type character. He would come barging into Israel and overthrow the evil Roman occupiers and plant a flag which would bring in a new golden age of Israel. This is how we very often view our heroes and our saviours. Things get Hollywoodized. They struggle and struggle while always looking good doing it, but eventually after 90 minutes, they reign victorious. Everything is tied up nicely in a bow, Worldly justice is served, the bad guys put in prison, sometimes racism magically gets solved, the audience leaves satisfied. Jesus promises much more than a satisfying ending, but he also promises a difficult journey. 
for the disciples, and therefore us, it's going to require faith. It's going to require them and us to step in fully and completely. Everything won't be tied up nicely. We're probably going to have to struggle, struggle for longer than a Hollywood film, and we probably won't always look good doing it. Imagine being a disciple there. All this information and realisation is washing over you. For them, it really hasn't been very long. And they've already seen quite a bit. Here's a quick highlight reel of the last four chapters since the first disciple is called in Luke 5. They've seen Jesus heal a man of leprosy, heal another of paralysis, eat with tax collectors, challenge the Pharisees and teach in front of massive crowds, raise a widow's son, restore a demon-possessed man, raise a dead girl to life, heal a sick woman and give his disciples the authority to heal. Up until they met Jesus, most of them will probably not have thought much about a Messiah. They may have been working away, minding their own business, but they'll have heard the stories of a Messiah figure, this warrior most likely, who would bring justice and terror on those who have brought terror on the Jewish people. The Jewish people were expecting a king with an army. They got a man and a donkey. They wanted swords and anger and rage and vindication. Instead, They got a man offering to take all of their sin on his back so they could have so, so much more. So we could have so, so much more. Imagine if Jesus was rattled by what people might say about him. Imagine if he second-guessed himself and was asking the disciples what was going on, trying to get their opinion on, trying to make himself feel better. Imagine if he was so concerned about what others might think of him. Well, it wouldn't have gotten him killed, but it also would have meant Jesus was forgotten to time. He would have been a nobody, not worth listening to. The disciples would hear what they would have to sacrifice for following him and tell him, thanks, but no thanks. It's a good idea, but I'll probably just take my chances. Wouldn't you? It would be like taking up your cross and following any one of our last three prime ministers. <laughs> you would hear what they're saying, compared to how they're acting, and you just get out of there. But Jesus has said, I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to be rejected and killed, but I'm going to come back all of which happens and changes the world. No other leader comes close to fulfilling their promises like Jesus did. So the Jews were waiting for a warrior as a Messiah. And almost in the same way today, Jesus gets wrenched into our own cultural sort of Western worldview that's filled with cynicism and doubt, which is this. You may have heard this before, this answer. People tend to say about Jesus, I mean, he seemed great. He presented a great way to live, some good teaching. He seemed sound, so I respect him and all, but, you know, I don't really believe in the whole Messiah or Son of God thing. He was definitely a great teacher, don't worry about that. I definitely respect him, but, you know, I don't really buy into that whole Son of God stuff. This is an answer I've heard lots of times when I've had discussions with friends. It's basically the politest answer that deflects challenge and discussion and only makes you, the Christian, look like you're being pushy if you push back. It's the ultimate discussion killer. One foot in, one foot out. But one of my favourite quotes is from local Belfast legend C.S. Lewis. You may have heard this. (laughs) It's from Mere Christianity. He says this. I am trying to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral preacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell, and you must make your choice. 
Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Jesus isn't an interesting historical figure. Not just an interesting historical figure. Nor was he the grand warrior messiah the Jews thought they were waiting for. He's the self-denying saviour. He doesn't want us to be one foot in and one foot out. He doesn't give us that choice. So like the disciples, Jesus leaves it up to us to decide. And if we do, we have to then ask ourselves, how can we be the self-denying follower? So if you want to look again at verses 23 to 25. Then Jesus said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Take up your cross daily is a tall order. The cross back then was one of the worst ways to die. For us now, it is a little bit more metaphorical, unless you're the guy who marches through Piccadilly Gardens barking at people. I don't know if you've seen him. So for the disciples, this was very real and very, very literal. Self-denial to the point of sacrifice. It's a warning that following Jesus meant suffering, and most of the disciples were martyred for their faith. As were people throughout history, and still are today, taking up their cross was very literal, very literal, And for us, it's a bit more metaphorical, especially in cushy middle-class Manchester. However, self-denial and the sacrificing of the self is something that is really quite counter-cultural to our everyday. We live in the time of self. Everything revolves around improving and gaining for your own. Jesus chose not to focus on his interests, but others as he went to the cross. So therefore, the disciple of Jesus must be one who is willing to lay down their own preferences and interests and instead prioritise loving God, loving other people and living out the mission of Jesus. You may want this shiny thing over there. All your friends have it. They work just as hard as you, studied as hard as you. You deserve it too, right? But God will probably say, take that thing you've learned and use it way over here instead. Deny yourself that to use it for this because this will further my kingdom. Here's an example I love. I love it because it's small and incredibly unglamorous. It's also basketball related. Um, But it's unglamorous even by Netflix's best efforts. And with or without Netflix, it would still be happening now and the world wouldn't know. It's in a TV show called Last Chance You. I don't know if anyone's anyone's seen it, besides Rosie, who's sat through my many rewatches. It's a sport documentary that follows a community college basketball team over two seasons. And community colleges uh, in America and for a student athlete with dreams of the big stage are pretty much purgatory. You go there, if you've been kicked out of a better college, you've missed your chance, and this is your last chance. So it follows East LA Community College, coached by Coach Mosley. Coach Mosley is a Christian man from a rough East LA neighborhood, and he played at East LA Community College, and my coach is there. He's very open about his Baptist background, the fact that it saved him from the life that killed or incarcerated some of his friends and family. He's very open with his faith with the players, who have a deep respect for him, but also clash with him a heck of a lot as he fights through their hurt, their disappointment, their ego and pressure to get them back to where they need to be to make a better life for themselves and their families. It is total sacrifice from him for the betterment of these kids. 
Coach Mosley is unorthodox. He asks the team to pray before games. He pray, prays for players. Jesus is ever pre- present in how this man coaches. He's also good enough to be working at a higher level on a bigger salary, but he stayed there because he believes that's where God needs him to be. And I've watched the show a million times, and so now it's the little things that I start to catch that really re-emphasize this point that I'm, that I'm saying. Um, they go on this retreat as a team-building exercise, again, something he doesn't have to do. But one player who's on this team, called Joe Hampton, has been really struggling mentally and emotionally. And Coach does his usual, asks them all to pray together. He tends to pray, and they all just stand around with their, with their eyes closed and wait for it to be over. But there's this one time where the camera tracks across and catches one of the players putting his hand on Joe's shoulder. And neither of them are Christian. None of these guys are Christian. That's the power of being a witness in that space. Coach Mosley could be in a far fancier school and wouldn't be having to do any of this. In a fancier school, he'd get paid a fortune for doing a heck of a lot less. But after two seasons, and much to my disappointment, Coach Mosley says he's done with the Netflix thing. He wants to go back to just being a basketball coach. Just being where God wants him to be. He says he's nothing flashy and doesn't need to be. And I love this because this man is simply a light in a very, very dark place. He's not racing around, trying to get them all saved and counting up how many Christians he's made and get them all into heaven. That's not his job. He simply witnesses. He bees himself. He bees the the person that he's been made in Jesus and lets God do everything else. How much does this guy sound like Jesus in his self-denial and in his humility? Nobody else in this man's profession would want to settle where he is. But he's put a ceiling on himself because that's where God wants him to be. Why can't he be a witness in a fancier school on a bigger stage with a bigger salary with more people? That doesn't matter. That's where God's called him to be, that school. Self-denial is like that. It challenges and frustrates the enemy and the world because it is so countercultural. Self-denial might not look like flipping your whole world upside down and moving to the other side of the, the world. It might just be shifting your perspective on what God is saying right now. In Isaiah 6, verse 8, it says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. That is an exclamation. If we speak it and live it, God will take us into situations we could never imagine. We're stopping and pausing and listening to God, and we're saying, I am yours, God. I trust you with everything that I've got. Use me to further your kingdom. So if we believe Jesus is God's Messiah and we're willing to follow him, then my final point is we have to lose our life to save it. True life, true fulfillment is in, the fo- is in following Jesus no matter what other pressure comes and putting aside all else to follow him. We can see in our passage that this is the mandate that Jesus has set up, set us as followers of him. He says, whoever wants to be My disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. In other words, put down things that we're living for or chasing and make him number one. This means every day losing your life in some form, sacrificing something, a mindset, a behavior. Maybe it's someone or something that holds you back from following Jesus with everything you have. It might be things that are obvious, money, drugs, alcohol, porn. Or it might be something else entirely that, that might seem good on the, on the outside. Maybe a career opportunity, a new car, 
expensive clothes. Jesus is saying we need to lose our life every day. For everyone, that will be different. And it's important that we pray and ask God what that is. We need to be disciplined and obedient in praying and listening to hear God's voice. Losing your life to save it is scary and daunting and will require you to choose Jesus every day. And I've got a bit of a testimony to help explain this. Um, I've got a large group of non-Christian friends and I've always been more comfortable around non-Christians because you guys are all weird. Um, And during uni, most of the time, my my faith flew under the radar, went unnoticed. And when it came up, people would be quite surprised. I used to wear this as a bit of a badge of honour, pleased with myself that I could do both. I also had a long-term non-Christian girlfriend at the time. We were living together, and I managed to convince myself that how I was living, my life was fine. And I ignored any nudges from God that might have felt that I might have felt. I was good at blending in, maintaining my presence at church whilst living a separate life during the week. I would tell myself both parts of me could coexist, the Christian and the non-Christian, because of course the two can work together, why not? But in actual fact, that worldly part was gaining ground because it was comfortable, it was easy, and it was more compatible with the world around me. My faith was floundering. And I stayed in this relationship for four years until eventually I really felt God tell me to move church and surrender my life to him again. And at this point, I realized I had two options, just like the disciples did. Do I, once again, acknowledge that Jesus is who he says he is, or do I go through the cycle again, forever living a divided life? And finally, I knew what my answer was. So I broke up with her, I ended the relationship, and momentarily flipped my life on its head. But I have seen God move in massive ways since I made that decision. And that isn't my story, nicely tied up with a bow. I still have to take up my cross and follow him every day. It's a daily, daily act. It wasn't a one and done, make a decision and job done, we're sorted. That's my decision made for the rest of my life. But it has allowed me to have conversations with my non-Christian friends. I've got to have conversations and moments with them that I never would have had if I had taken the easy option. Now these conversations happen with my identity firmly set in Jesus. And this, this would have been the case for the disciples too. Even after everything they saw and experienced of Jesus, they also needed to keep redirecting themselves towards God. Denying ourselves as humans doesn't come naturally. So what are, what are some of the things that maybe God is asking you to put down this evening? It doesn't have to be a relationship or a huge life decision. Perhaps it's a habit you can't shake or a way of thinking that's holding you back. We can take a look at our lives and ask this question with the security that Jesus paid it all for us already. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, He who had no sin became sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the Jesus we can trust in. This is the Jesus we can dare to give everything up for, because he's already given everything up for us. So if the band want to come back up, I just want to finish with a, with a prayer. Um, and as we're praying and as we're worshipping and reflecting, um, I want to encourage us to listen to where God wants us to be, what he wants us to do, what he might want us to give up. We have no idea how God can move in our lives if, if we are willing to lose our lives first. But we have to be obedient in our faith in taking that first step and making that decision. 
Maybe this is the first time you're hearing all of this, or whether you're taking your first step for the first time, or your, this, this step for the a millionth time. God is here and ready, and all we have to do is recognize Jesus as the Messiah the same way the disciples did.